Good evening, everyone. How are we going tonight? All good? Cool. Sex. There, I've said it, and you, like me, are probably already feeling incredibly awkward. It's that topic where you sort of want to know what's going on, but... You know, maybe you've tried to talk with your parents about it or your parents have, you know, or your parent and you tried to talk with your kids about it and it sort of hasn't come out right and you just feel a bit awkward about it or you hear some stuff at school and it's like, well, that doesn't sound right, but I sort of want to know, but I don't want to know at the same time and it just is incredibly awkward. Yes? You're feeling awkward like me? Cool. Tonight, um, because I was so pumped when I got this topic, um, tonight we're going to have a look at uh, what the Bible says about sex and sexual immorality. Uh, and my aim tonight is to try and portray uh, what the Bible says to us about this, but obviously doing it in like a sensitive way, uh, because it's an important issue, because what society says and what the Bible says are two very different things. So to start tonight, we're actually going to pray, so please join with me as we pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the Bible, which is your word. Uh, we thank you for everything in it. Uh, sometimes, though, we do come across passages uh, which can be a little bit confronting. Uh, we pray that, regardless of that, Lord, that uh, my words will be your words here tonight uh, and that my words will be able to describe your position on uh, what the Bible says about sex and sexual immorality uh, and we can do that in a way that glorifies you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's sort of, I suppose, two main inappropriate views uh, to sex, and the first one is probably the hyper-religious view on it, that it's yucky, that it's naughty, that we shouldn't really talk about it, that I can't believe we're actually talking about it in church, this is really uncomfortable, please earth, swallow me up, let's just forget that it exists altogether. And it's easy for us to, to jump to that conclusion, however, the Bible paints a very different picture. In the beginning... God created Adam, and God said that it's not good for him to be alone, and so God then also created Eve and joined the two together in marriage. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, 24 and 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So here we have the first wedding. The first two people, Adam and Eve, joined together and become one flesh. So they engaged in sexual activity, which God gave to them as a gift. The idea of sex was that it was meant to be a gift to people in a marriage covenant, husband and wife, to be enjoyed as a gift from God. Unfortunately, the second way to look at it is the way that society often looks at this topic, and that is, look, it's not that special. Just do it with whatever, whoever, whenever, it's all good as long as you think you're cool with it, then that's all right. Tonight we find that that's where the Corinthians had found themselves, with that view. And in verse 12, Paul starts by saying, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now it's important we get the context right here, so we're going to take a step back to start with. Paul had already spoken with the Corinthian church a long time before this letter and would have shared with them the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, died on the cross, was raised back to life, and through his sacrifice, our sins can be forgiven. And as a result of that, we then have freedom from sin because of what Jesus has done. 
Romans 8, 1 to 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, as part of our freedom that we get, uh, we no longer need to live our life under the rules that were stipulated that God gave to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Uh, Things like... uh, the whole sacrifice in the temple and, you know, annually or daily making sacrifices to God for our sin and things like that, and also to do with the foods that we eat. So the Jewish people had certain restrictions on foods that God said were clean and some of them were unclean. Uh, and as a result of what Jesus has done and fulfilling the law, we're no longer bound by uh, those rules. So Paul would have explained this to Corinthians and say, you're now, you've got freedom in Jesus to, to do this sort of stuff. Fortunately, the Corinthians took this a little bit too far and took it further than just what Paul was saying, but were using his words to justify their behavior to say that because of Jesus, they were free to do absolutely anything they wanted. To some degree, it was almost like that they viewed um, their, uh, like the acts that they were doing uh, as being separate from their body, so therefore it was all right. Because the argument was, outlined later on, that Well, food's just satisfying like our hunger urges. So, you know, we're free to do that. So we're just going to satisfy all our urges by just doing whatever we like. And it's all right because Paul says it's cool. Well, no, Paul's actually refuting here and saying, no, this is not cool. Yes, you do have freedom in Jesus. But the freedom you get is is the freedom from sin. And because of that, you therefore have the choice to choose to follow God and honour him with your life. This is not what you guys are doing. Verse 15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Paul was making the argument that when we become Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. God lives in us. And he was saying, how can you take your body where God is living and join it to a prostitute. That is not honouring God at all. That is the opposite of honouring God. So the issue that Paul had was that the Corinthians were not glorifying God with their body. Now I read through this passage and I looked at it and went, well, I'm not engaging with prostitutes, so I'm going all right. And Jesus goes, no, actually, that's not what I'm saying either. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. and He says in verses 27 and 28, You have heard that it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And there's the issue. Jesus gets right to the point, while Paul was talking about a specific problem that the Corinthians were having, Jesus goes right to the point of the issue and said, this is a heart issue. So your actions are actually showing what heart it is that you have on the, out, on the inside. And anytime you look lustfully at somebody, you've already sinned and committed adultery in your heart without actually having physically done anything. So this includes things like stuff we watch on TV, Things we look at on the internet. Us sleeping with our boyfriends or girlfriends before marriage. Down to the second, third, fourth stair slash gawk at that hot 
boy slash girl at the shops. It comes down to a heart issue. And Jesus' response is pretty blunt. It goes on to say, You have heard that it is said, you shall, not commit, uh, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Qualification. Jesus is not literally telling us to poke out our eyes and cut off our arms. Otherwise, there will be a lot of people walking around missing eyes and hands. But what Jesus is getting at is trying to get, give us a picture that he wants us to get rid of those things in our lives. To get rid of those things in our lives so that our bodies can honour him. As most of you would know, I'm a parent of three kids. Uh, and my role as a parent is to protect my children and keep them safe. My kids, however, sometimes, uh, and one instance of this was with our little boy, Asher, who decided that while we were gardening out the front, that it would be cool to run onto the road. No, it's not cool. And so we told him and moved him off the road and got him back up to where we were gardening and did it again. And then he thought that this was a bit of a game and he was having heaps of fun. Uh, so uh, some of the balls that we had at the front then were accidentally getting thrown onto the road because then he had to go out and get them. He was having a great time and he thought that he was, you know, having a bit of a game, having lots of fun. But we as parents could see that, no, this is not safe. And our job is to protect our children from, you know, and keep them safe. So all the balls went out in the backyard, all the kids back inside the house to keep Asher safe. Now, God wants us, as being our Heavenly Father, to be safe. And yes, he created sex to be used in a certain way for a husband and wife in a marriage context, but he also wants to protect us, to keep us safe, because there are implications when we turn this around and when it gets turned into sexual immorality. Things like... Um, I did some research this afternoon... Uh, and found that there are like alarming statistics with people who live with their partners before they get married. Uh, I found this, and yes, okay, it's American, um, but I think it gives you a bit of a glimpse as to what happens. It says, according to statistics gathered by some US place, people living together before getting married doesn't actually accomplish the goal that couples think it will. A couple who does not live together prior to getting married has a 20% chance of being divorced within five years, if the couple has lived together beforehand, that number jumps to 49%. If the couple chooses to live together as an alternative to being married at all, the likelihood that the relationship will break up within five years is also 49%. At the 10-year mark, a married couple has a 33% chance of breaking up, but the unmarried couple still living together, the likelihood is 62%. For couples who decide to move in together, just over half of them will marry within five years, but during that five-year period, 40% of couples will split up. As a chaplain, I, I dealt with too many families that had broken up, and it's bad enough that the kids are involved, but to also see the hurt that the parents go through, 
God wants to protect us from this sort of stuff. Even down to, you know, are you, know, are you sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married? Verse 18 says, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, not only is it not a good idea because you don't know whether you can contract things, you know, like um, sexually transmitted infections because you don't know how many other times the person you're engaging with has also done it with a variety of other people, but there's also the emotional scarring that happens as a result. As I said before, God intended sex for be between a husband and wife and that the act itself actually helps um, the intimacy between the two and helps bond the relationship. When that sort of stuff happens outside of marriage, it actually does the complete opposite and the emotional scarring that takes place. I've heard it sort of like if you get two bits of wood and you stick them together with really strong glue, if you pull them apart, they don't pull apart just really easily. What happens is, is that there's transfer across from both bits of wood and there's scarring as a result of that. And emotionally, that's what happens. God's wanting to protect us from these things. Even down to the things we watch on TV and, and what we look at on the internet, the problem with pornography is everywhere in our society. Uh, it gives us the wrong view of what God wanted for sex. Uh, I've read that um, looking at that sort of stuff actually submits a, a chemical reaction in your brain, which is similar to having cocaine or heroin. So the more you watch, the more you can get addicted to it. And it's trying to actually, it's almost like being a drug addict. But it also gives a wrong view, particularly for guys, in that it objectifies women and, and we then look at ladies rather than uh, people that God loves and that we should honour, that they're looked at instead as objects or things that we can consume. Now, please don't also get me wrong. Uh, please don't think that my message tonight is just for unmarried people. All of these issues are also the same for married people. Please don't think just because you're married, you're immune to committing adultery or having an affair. Uh, don't be lulled into thinking I'm all good and that won't happen to me. Uh, married people too also need to devote themselves to being pure before God and pure with their partner. This problem is everywhere and Jesus gives us, yes, extreme measures, but says get rid of it from your lives. Paul, the start of verse 18, says, flee from sexual immorality. The use of the word flee here is not just like a one-off action. It, there's a connotation that it's an ongoing habitual thing that you will make the decision to, on an ongoing basis, flee from this sort of stuff. I could only think of Joseph uh, and the account in Genesis where Potiphar's wife uh, makes some rather overt advances upon him. And his response is that he flees. Now, yes, it didn't go great for him initially, but he honoured God with his actions and he got out of that situation. God wants us to flee from situations like this, which means, though, that we need to determine how we're going to respond before we find ourselves in situations like this. It might be things like putting filters on your internet and on your phone or uh, making changes to how you watch TV, making sure that you're not found alone with your boyfriend slash girlfriend, particularly late at night. It might be finding someone who's an older, trusted person that you can 
become accountable to and share your life with and they can ask you those hard questions to see how you're going. God's not setting us up in a way where he wants us to, he wants us to view him as like a killjoy sort of parent. God's wanting us to honour him with our bodies and help protect us from things that are going to be harmful to us. Paul's main issue with the Corinthians was that they were not honouring God with their actions. Verses 19 to 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sexual immorality is everywhere in our society and it's only getting worse. If we're truly honest with ourselves, then we know that all of us have stumbled in this area and maybe we're still walking around carrying the guilt of decisions that we've made in the past. I want you to know tonight that our God is a loving God and he is a forgiving God and when we come to him and confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will purify us from those unrighteousness. But God loves us enough that he doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to move closer to him and for our bodies, therefore, to be used to glorify him. Yes, he forgives us, but he also wants us to then make choices that are going to honour and glorify him and reflect our citizenship in heaven. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We have freedom in Jesus. We have freedom from sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we have freedom in a way that means that we are no longer bound to sin but we can choose instead to honour God with our lives. And yes, because of that, we have been bought at a price. We are not our own. God has bought us. Verses 19 and 20 again say, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you uh, that you are a God that loves relationship. We thank you that you created marriage. We thank you that you created it to be done in a certain way. And we thank you uh, that you gave us the gift of sex that was designed between a husband and a wife. But Lord, you also know that uh, as sinful beings and as we see sin in our society, that this view has been skewed and has been completely changed. And Lord, there are times when we have engaged in things that we know that are not honouring of you. Lord, please forgive us for those times when we acted selfishly, where we let sin reign in our life. Please forgive us for those times. Please purify us, Lord. And please help us instead to live a life that honours you with our bodies. Because... It's through what Jesus has done on the cross that not only our sins are forgiven, but that you have bought us and you now own us. 
Help us to live our lives that glorify you and show that you are our true owners. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a challenge. We are not our own. Our body, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit of God. That's a really mind-blowing thought. Um, Our bodies have been brought with the price of Christ's blood shed at Calvary. How do we respond to that? As we come to sing our final song for this evening, I thought of Romans 12.1, which just says these words.